Hi, my name's Bill Leckie and this is Timeline, where we look behind the big issues of the day in terms of how they affect our mental health. Why? Well, because for me, these are the two strands of my working life. I've been a journalist since the days of paper and pencil, and I'm also qualified at what I like to call mental health problem solving. The reason I got from one to another was that about 11 years ago now, I finally gave in and admitted to some issues inside my own head, anxiety, depression, call it what you will. My GP started me on medication, which I think for anyone is the perfect way to help us start thinking more clearly. But once that happened, I wanted to get off drugs as soon as possible and start making myself healthier through writing down my problems and more importantly still talking about them openly. Once I started writing about this subject in my columns for the Scottish Sun, the response was huge, particularly from other men who found it very hard to talk about their own problems. That led me into writing a book about my own, if you want to call it, I hate this word, journey. And then to qualifying in a really practical form of therapy called neuro-linguistic programming, which brings us here to Timeline and an attempt to go deeper into those big issues of the day and what they do to our heads. This week we're kicking off with the bipolar nature of modern political debate and in particular its effect on a new younger generation of voters. And with me in the studio to discuss that today will be Brian Costello, who I have to say, without blowing smoke, is a mental health guru, an absolute superstar in demystifying what goes on in our heads. We'll come to that in a few seconds, but first I just want to say a few words about a really sad story from the weekend just gone by. Adam Strachan, a former footballer with Partick Thistle, Ross County, or Broth, and many other clubs, has passed away aged just 35. He was a supremely talented winger. He was so quick and he was skillful, and he had that very Scottish trait that we call being gallus. He was also a much-loved character in every dressing room he was part of, the life and soul of team spirit wherever he went. Sadly, he was also a hugely troubled guy away from football. Now, this isn't the forum to start reeling off any misdemeanours you might have been guilty of down the years because they've been well enough documented. But suffice to say, he was never able to escape a side of himself that overwhelmed his sporting ability and eventually dragged him into a spiral of unhappiness. His death brought a genuine outpouring of grief from his previous clubs, from many, many teammates and from fans up and down the land. Yet, I know that in his head, Adam was haunted by the thought that people would only remember him for the bad things he had done. In an interview back in 2016, he made a statement so many of us must have echoed at some time or another. I wish I could go back and do things differently. Trouble is, of course, we can't. We can't ever undo things we've done, just as we can't undo what others have done to us. But here's the thing. What we can do is forgive ourselves. We can forgive others. And we can change the way we react to these past events. Bad things in life don't have to define us. They don't have to hold us back. We can go back in our minds and change the way we want to be now and tomorrow. If this is something you're interested in finding out more about, then please contact me at breakthearrow at outlook.com. That's breakthearrow at outlook.com. And every week we'll be talking about more mental health issues and ways that we can help ourselves become better versions of ourselves. Now, let's talk politics without talking politics. How do we do that? Well, we try and take the party element out of something that's become overwhelming, I think, for a lot of people these last few years. This constant division between yes and no, leave and remain, left and right. We're either on one side of the playground or on the other. And for me, 
I think it's a very damaging thing. We've just launched into uh, another campaign headed towards uh, an independence referendum eight years after the last one. And whatever you think of whether we in Scotland should be independent or not, my feeling is this, that the last time 55% of people in the country said no, 45 said yes. If it flipped around this time and 55% said no, we'd still have 45% of the country who were unhappy and probably quite angry. The same happened with Brexit, 54 to whatever that is. <laughs> I could count 54 to 46, 52 to 48, wherever we are. If you flipped it around again, if they had a, had a reverse ferret on Brexit and put us back into Europe, 48% of people would be angry and unhappy. And I don't think that's a very healthy way for our heads to be. Brian Costello, who runs Headstrong. If you can explain what Headstrong is. Before we get into politics. Before we get into politics. <laughs> Without the parties. Um, Headstrong is an organisation that deals with all aspects of mental health. Our mission statement is that we, are, we want to inspire positive conversations about mental health because many of the conversations about mental health tend to be very negative uh, and very focused on, you know, the, 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 the bad parts of mental health. And, and then you've got obviously the flip side where everybody seems to be happy clappy and we like to sit somewhere in the middle. We work with young people, especially. Um, we do a lot of work in schools. We work with anybody really that wants to improve their mental health, whether that be training, therapy, all sorts of things. Especially since I think we're going to talk a lot about young people yeah. uh, during this. Uh, this is a, a subject that I think is very fascinating. For people who don't know, and why would you know? Brian coached me when I was trying to qualify to, to do neuro-linguistic programming. Absolutely. Um, which is a very, very practical form of mental health therapy. And what I thought was great, I, I really thought, Brian, when I, when I was coming along to do this, I thought there'd be an element of kind of wind chimes about it, you know, <laughs> there'd be a little yeah. bit of whale music maybe <laughs> on the back end. And what, yeah. I, what I loved about the way you do things is that you have a real knack for demystifying really complicated, when, when your head's really full of broken biscuits, yep. you're very, very adept at just cutting to what the problem is. And, and it, where, where did that come from with you? How did you get there? That's a, that's a great question. I think I was due one in my career. At yeah, some absolutely. At some point, uh, I think um, I, I just like to make things simple. I think that's why it works so well with young people, because my thing is, how, how can we boil this down? When I first qualified, I must admit, I was very much a I wouldn't go as far as to say that I was an intellectual uh, trainer in all of this stuff, you know, especially in the NLP, but there's a whole heap of intellectual NLPers out there. And what I mean by that is there are people that use a lot of big words and try to turn it into something it's not. As you said, it's a very practical way of working with the mind. Um, if anybody's ever heard of cognitive behavioral th therapy or CBT, it shares a very similar mindset and that thoughts cause feelings. So we all, that that's basically at its base. How we think causes how we feel. How we feel then drives how we behave and how we act. So our feelings are critical, but many, many people spend a lot of time focusing on the feeling and try to make people feel better rather than try to get people to think different. So even, I mean, in the world of politics, you know, we're in very emotional politics. Yes, we are driving yeah. up how people feel rather than thinking, well, what does that do to how people think? And then wonder, why do people get disillusioned with all of these things? And so I think where it came from was just my want to keep it simple yeah. it, I think it just I, I, my thing is I want to help people my thing is I love to see people change I love to to say that thing I had a moment just even last week where I still after 15 years of doing this came home to my wife and went oh I had a great moment today and it all it was was just saying this one thing to someone that just 
it just clicked. It just made it in their head. It just it just made something click, and this guy burst into tears and went, "Nobody's ever said it like that before. Nobody's ever talked to me like that before." That's and perfect. That's that's such a that's such an amazing thing to be able to do for for people. Oh, it's awesome to get them to get yeah. people. Because one of the first things you told us when we were learning with you was that if you can create a problem, you can solve a problem. Yeah, and if you. And people basically have the answers in their own heads. They just don't know where they are. And what, and what you're trying to do, what we're trying to do is lead them towards that answer rather than being the traditional counsellor or therapist who tries to tell you the answer. Yeah, because it's like a big mystery of yeah. what's going on inside your head. You know, this. I think this comes back into that intellectualism, doesn't it? It's like that thing of, can I make it sound very fancy, give it a really fancy name and give it this mystique that then means that nobody understands it. Whereas I think- So I'm know, really clever. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I look brilliant because I've just called it emotionally unstable personality disorder and I've come up with that term. And that is useful for many people to have these labels, to have these terms that can really help people to go, that makes sense. But yeah. simplicity for it is the key for change. But do you know, there's a complete flip of that in this political argument because at the time of Brexit and the run up to Brexit Richard Dawkins the yep. you know <laughs> yeah believes yeah. in some God's delusion yeah. is that God, the, yeah. the, the God delusion incredibly intelligent erudite man came out with a statement where he and this is paraphrasing slightly where he said why are they asking me to vote on Brexit <laughs> it's the most complicated geopolitical and economic and sociological experiment this country's ever attempted and they're asking me <laughs> to vote on it. Yeah, and he's and, quite an intelligent guy. And he's guy. quite an intelligent guy. So, yeah. so there's a kind of com a complete flip is, is you're saying you're trying to take complicated things and you're trying to make it nice and simple for people. Mm -hmm. right? In politics, they're, they're, they're asking us to make decisions that they are pretending are simple. Yep. But they're phenomenally difficult. To, I mean, nobody could work out is Brexit a good thing or a bad thing. Nobody really knows is independence a good thing or a bad yep. thing. They know, they know in, in terms of emotions, yeah, I want Scotland to be free or I want to be out of Europe or I want to be in Europe or I believe in the union. But they don't know why. And I think that's there's a massive gap in the middle. There's a gap in the market yep. for a politician to to come in and bring us together and explain these things. I, I think so. Do you know, it's even the local elections were on recently. We got a thing through the, the door from, uh, I think it was, well, in fact, it doesn't matter what party it was, from local politicians or yeah. councillors who were, and there was two of them. And... The, the the leaflet basically was an attack. It was just, this is what this other party have done wrong. And this is what that party have done wrong. And this is what this party have done wrong. And I said to my wife, I have no interest in politics, by the way, but I'd love to run on a, on a campaign or on a, uh, on a, on a platform that says, do you know what? They actually did that quite right. And that was quite a good idea. I think I could do things a wee bit differently, you know, and, and I could do things like this, but do you know what? I give them kudos for this, this and yeah. this. And and we've come into this very, very emotive politics. As yeah. you say, these complex situations, you know, when the first independence referendum was on was a perfect example of just stoking emotions on yeah. both sides, stoke the emotions, stoke them. When, as you say, we, we didn't know if we could keep no. the pound or stay in the EU or all the no. things or whether there was enough oil or whether, I mean, we don't know that because that's, as you say, hugely, hugely complex. And also know, things that won't be known for oh, 50 years. Yeah, exactly. who, who's, who's to know, who, you know, who's to know if in five years time, the political world might not have flipped in his head and the, oh. the Tories might be in power up here and, you know, the Martians might be in power in <laughs> Westminster, which, which may or may not be an improvement for some Absolutely. people. I, don't know. I think that one second one would have to happen for the Tories to be in up here. I think, but I think, I think there's every <laughs> chance, yeah. But I would hate to be, I think there's a lot of reasons why I wouldn't like to be a teenager these days. Mm. You work with the kids yep. all the time with teenagers and 
in the in the independence referendum, they were they were given the chance sixteen year olds to vote. Yep, for the first time, and I think emotions come into that far more than they should mm-hmm. because at sixteen, what do you Absolutely. know about about these massive? I mean, I got I got the feeling it was that they were just bulk votes. Yeah, I, I, I would I would agree, and I don't think that's I, I'm not you know that's um, not a poli- I, I, that's not uh, a particular. I think any I think whoever whatever party was in power who had brought that in would have been doing it to well that gives us another. Yeah, we can stoke up a sixteen-year-olds. Yeah. They they all remember mummins and dads who watched yeah. Braveheart and they've all yeah. turned round. And again, I, that's what I was about to qualify. It was was this is no comment on politics, no. you know, it, it, as well. It was, but I would agree with you. I think the thing that happened, right enough. I mean, we're probably veering into the psychology of echo chambers and uh, and and social. Well, I think that's media, really but, important, though. That's really yeah. important because a lot of it does happen in people's oh, echo chamber. I mean, on social media, absolutely. we surround ourselves with people who agree with with us. Yeah, we block people who are polarized mm-hmm. to us. Generally, I think even politicians exist in echo chambers and bubble. bubbles where the the people have said the will of the people is you know which we hear from down south we hear from up here you think well you've not asked me that i've not you know I, I, <laughs> yeah you don't know what my will is and i think if you're if you're 16 and you've been given this opportunity to vote it's a hell of a responsibility isn't it it is it is a huge responsibility and my if i'm right i'm sure that my oldest daughter got to vote in that because i'm sure mm. she was just over 16 when it happened and i remember her coming to us and going what am I meant to do? And and we were very much, look, it's up to you. Now, I mean, I've got to admit many young people now are much more politically aware than I was at 16. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the benefits maybe of social media is they're a wee bit more aware. But again, whether they understand the ramifications of that, you know, I do <laughs> I do talks to, to parents when I'm talking about exams. And one of the things I talk about is why financial rewards don't work. Not for most kids anyway. And I'm like, the reason that financial reward doesn't work for a 16-year-old is because that money has no value. So you say, I'll give you £50 an A, um, and they go, oh, that'll be 500 or 250 quid if I pass my five hires. But that, what does 200, it's just birthday money. And therefore the motivation goes away because it's not like, whereas if you said to us, I'll give you 250 quid, we'd be like, oh, that's quite nice. I could do that or that with yeah. it. You know, we, we can equate that. I'm talking about an age group that can't work out what to do with 250 quid psychologically. Yeah. And we're saying, here, here's a big bulk, of, as you say, a big block of bulk votes that may sway a vote in my favour. And then the interesting thing, obviously, at that time was that it didn't work because my read on it was that the people like the older ones that, that really swayed the vote, which is like my mum, yeah. wouldn't put any other politics on Facebook. So no. we were living in this bubble of... Yeah, it's going to be a yes. It's going to be a yes. I was sitting that morning in the STV or so, um, yeah, STV studio, uh, waiting to go on the news. Um, to I think they had me on as a talking about how why does the psychology of this changes as an identity as a nation. I still remember the concert, the Tory woman uh, coming out of the studio with a huge grin on her face, and I get ousted for Nigel Farage. I never even got on. Sat in the studios for three and a half hours. Not that I'm bitter about it. No, I mean, still, it's, no, I'm not it's, holding it's, on. It is a low point in your life when, you, when you're booted <laughs> out of a studio for, for Nigel, Nigel Farage. Farage. Yeah, absolutely. Never got on screen. Never got on uh, for. Uh, sat there for three and a half hours. We'll get you on soon. But by the way, that, that is a that is a whole other psychological yeah. forty five minutes to talk about how, <laughs> how the news uses and drops people like that. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah, back onto the point. Yeah, back onto the point. I think it is that thing of it's a huge responsibility. And how, uh, how do you yeah. how do you think young people that you've dealt with? I don't like talking about young people. You know, I don't know what you call yeah. 
Yeah. No, the young, young people, people you're, yeah. if you call them kids, then kids, that will... Kids, yeah, no, you're, then you're not down with the kids Ooh. if you call them kids. Young people, how do you think they handled that? Do you, do, do you think they just went with their gut? I think they did. I think a lot of them followed mums and dads and, mm. and what that was. Again, you know, from a psychological point of view, your identity is still forming at 16, 17. You know, you're, in fact, if anything, you're in peak identity formation at that point. So... Mm. I don't know really if they, I, I, all I can come back is, is I don't know if they understood the real ramifications of it. It'd been an interesting thing actually before we recorded this to speak to my daughter and go, you know, you were 16. What, what do you think back now? She was up because uh, she was graduating uh, recently and I did speak to her because obviously all the stuff about the new one's been yeah. out and I was like, because well, she's now down in London and I was like, do you get a vote? And she was like, don't know. Right. And that was, that was her response to it was, don't know. Well, work it out at the time. So I don't know. So, so it's not. It doesn't seem to have imbued her with this kind of fire that I, no. I am the next generation. I'm going to, you know. I think if anything, we're dealing with a generation at the moment who are feeling very, very apathetic. I don't know if they realise or or feel as if their voices are being heard. We're obviously recording this in Glasgow, right outside where we were. The march for COP twenty six would yeah. have happened. And yet then, you know, Australian politicians and the Australian Prime Minister said no coal's more important. So I think you're dealing with a very, very disaffected youth who, therefore, that pushes, as far as I can tell anyway, psychologically, you might, you know, and you've studied this more than I have, but it feels to me as if that then pushes them into more and more radical yes. standpoints because they feel as if they're not being listened. So therefore yeah. they have to shout louder, but the louder they shout, then the more you have to shout. So the more extreme I have to be to be heard rather than being able to say, I don't, I don't like this. I don't think well, that's a good thing. Look at how many huge political figures were in Glasgow for COP26. Young people wanted to listen to Greta. Now, whether Greta knows as much as she thinks she knows or whether she's right, whether she's wrong, she's the one that young people want to listen to. Yep. And yet, the thing we haven't done politically is we've said, all right, let's have 16-year-olds voting. But we're not having younger politicians particularly. In mm. general, we have one or two. Mary Black came through and Kate Forbes is fairly young, the, the finance minister in Hollywood. But in general, we're looking at middle-aged people yep. being in politics. And so how do, how do we try and even balance that out for, I think there'll be a fear within the political establishment of a younger generation coming in and taking their place, will or not? I think so. I, I think it's just it's just so far removed. And I think that's why they start to get into, like Greta, they start to get into activism, sitting in the middle of motorways and blocking traffic because you're like, well, you're not listening to my voice. Because it's something to do. It's they yeah. do something. I'm doing something. Because yeah. you're not listening to me when I speak. Yeah. So I, I, I don't see any result. When I talk to people about even just if, if I talk to somebody on a therapy level, like so, and if I'm talking to somebody on a one-on-one -on -one about their relationship, one of the things that I say to people all the time, especially about controlling or coercive relationships, is I will say, actions speak louder than words. It's all very well for your partner to say, I'm sorry, dear, I will change. I, I, I'll definitely be different. But if the actions aren't there out the back of it, then they're not really changing. They're just papering over the cracks. I think there isn't a huge leap for us to be able to apply that to much UK politics, especially yeah. from Westminster. Well, for instance, in, in your situation, if you had 15, 16 year old mm -hmm. who comes to see you and presumably mum and dad would be with them, mm -hmm. right? In that generational thing, how do you deal with separating mum and dad from 
the teenager to get to the, the root of things. It, from a psychological point of view? From, oh, from a even just from a practical session point of view. I kick them out of the room. I kick them out of the room. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so uh, mum and dad don't get to stay in. In that kind of situation, I, I would bring whole family in and then mum and dad leave and then I listen to the young person. And the other thing is, in fact, I think you've touched on something really important. I wouldn't have brought t- taken that as a as an analogy. But when somebody comes in, especially a young person comes into my room or into our office, the interesting thing is, is from the moment they walk in and after I've said hello. So let's imagine it was you. Let's imagine yeah. you had a 13 year old mm-hmm. and I uh, I would shake your hand and I'd say, let's say I'd spoken to you by email. I'd go, hi, Bill, I'm Brian. Nice to meet you. And then I'd turn around. Let's say the wee one's called Jimmy, just for the sake of it. And I'd go, hi, Jimmy. And I'd shake his hand. And from then on, everything is directed at that kid. Right, so here's what's going to happen. We are going to go into this room and then I'm going to kick dad out, but I'm going to get dad to speak about what's going on. And then we're going to have a chat because you're the most important person here. And I listen. The feedback that we get and and why we make such a big change with teenagers is the number of mums and dads that come in and say, I don't think he'll speak very much. I don't think she'll say anything. She doesn't really speak or he doesn't say anything. And they come out laughing and giggling because we've actually been maybe the first person to sit and go, tell me. Tell me your story and I'll listen. And I think now politicians, I mean, look at the way that they've dealt with Greta mm-hmm. and how many of them are this upstart, you know, this uh, this person, oh, she's just a troublemaker. And they're not seeing this absolute wave of uh, of appreciation that she's got. They should be putting their arm around her and well, hugging her. I think almost every parliament in the world at some point has invited her in yes. to speak. Yep. But I would imagine when you're speaking, most of the back benches would be saying, right, how, how, long, has, <laughs> how long has she got to go to yeah. get back to the bar? That's yeah. lovely. We've done our thing. We've had this youngster in. On we pop now and we'll go back to back yes. to normality. But we don't listen to her. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's, she's a celebrity. And nothing's going to change. Yeah, and nothing changes. And, and I think that's, that's the issue for our youth at the moment is they're disaffected. So therefore, it pushes them to activism, which is therefore very extreme, which means that all of a sudden you get the balance. So therefore, the other side, I mean, you're seeing this massively in America at the moment. You know, where some of the stuff that's happening over there is downright terrifying. Yeah. And it was some of the, 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 the analogies that it has to things yeah. that have happened not a million miles away from here in the past. Yeah. yeah so I, 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 think said. To, I think we need to listen. Yeah. I think we just need to listen. In fact, we don't just need to listen. We need to listen and do because what they need to see is action. So they need to see something change. Not enough. I mean, we say that and then we get these things that get released every so often, don't we, about, you know, Scotland produced. 100% of its power from renewable sources. But then you get this kind of stuff where actually that might not be what you think it is. And that might be a bit of a fudge. I was talking to somebody recently who was, who owned a business and you can go onto these websites now for your carbon offset. So if I, as a business, uh-huh. uh, you or I can go on and we can, let's say we have to fly to London, we can pay a certain amount of money to this company who will offset the carbon for that trip. But I got some insight recently that that's not apparently everything that's cracked up to be. That doesn't necessarily mean a tree is built or a tree is built. <laughs> you just build a tree <laughs> uh, or a tree is planted. It's not like that. And no. apparently it's almost like a very, again, political exercise. Well, and- uh, if you're a, a, a young person who is acutely aware of the ins and outs of the internet, you'll soon find out that you'll get around that, you know? It's, mm. it's almost as if I think there's a, the, the, the generation who run politics almost forget that there's a generation who they're inviting in to vote who know how to find out information that yeah. they don't want them to find oh, out. Absolutely. And they all know how. There's this incredible 
gap in the middle. And even if, if we move on from, from young people and even just into the politicians themselves, they are not listening. That's the point mm-hmm. you made that, you know, party A says party B are all wrong. Yep. And they say that party C are all wrong. They can't all be wrong. There must be a place in the middle. And there seems to be this terrible fear of admitting that the person across the, the chamber actually is quite smart. And did something well. And did something well. Yeah. yeah. Even when uh, when Nicola Sturgeon stood up and said, right, okay, that's the end of all of the restrictions, or pretty much anyway, you know, whenever that was a, a few months ago, Douglas Ross's first thing was to stand up and say why she was wrong and certain things, rather than saying, isn't it brilliant? You know, this has been one of the toughest yeah. things that any politician could see us through. And I believe even if he'd wanted to soften it, I believe as a chamber, that we have all worked together to be able to push us, and I, yeah. I, you know, and I commend the first minister. But it's the first response it, now is is you did today, that wrong. Today is Monday. No, it's not. Today is Tuesday. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. you know, in, in some parts of the world, today is Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. How now, do, you can't say it's my Monday. Exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think my favourite thing that I learned from your coaching mm. is uh, the exercise called parts integration. Mm. My favourite. It is. It's wonderful. Now. Again, why would you know this? If you, if you don't know these things, you only know what you know. Pass integration is where we take, we all sit at some point and say, do you know, sometimes I'm like this and other times I'm like that. And we and we actually put our hands up. We tend to do that thing where we put our two hands up. And Brian teaches this wonderful exercise where we get people who have this kind of, these two sides that pull against themselves, almost create characters for the two parts of your personality and try and get them to negotiate inside your own head and bring them together. And I think that's what we maybe need politically. Because what we do is, very, very briefly, put your two hands up, you bring out the side of it you don't you don't like on one hand, you give it a character, you go through what it does for you, what, what, what does this bring to the party? And once we've done all that, we bring out the part that you do like on the other hand, and what does it do for you? And you start to realise that there's a reason for both sides, the, the side of you that you don't like, there's parts of what you don't like that's good for you because it maybe holds you back from doing stupid things. And there's actually parts that of the bit of you that you do like that, that isn't that good for you because it maybe, you know, goes the other way. And I think we, we need that in politics today. We need that sort of slight integration where left and right or yes and no or remain and leave kind of find some kind of common ground where we can bring some sanity back. Yeah, I mean, you've described it really nicely, and I think you're absolutely right. When you think about that that as a technique, the, the premise of it is, is that both sides want the same thing. Yes. So somebody who's sitting listening to this just now... That's where you uh, cut things through things really well. I, I yeah. foofed about there for about 45 seconds. You got <laughs> it in a sentence. But it's, it, you're absolutely right, though. I mean, it's, it, it is, and it describes to someone exactly how it happens. But you're, you're both after the same thing. If somebody is anxious, if you're listening to this podcast just now, and you experience anxiety, you might not believe Bill and I, but I promise... Uh, that that anxiety more than likely is trying to find you peace. Uh, and you might be like, hey, but I keep having have anxiety attacks. How you, this piece of my mind is a saboteur. It's like it's in there. But actually it's not. Most of the time, you know, an, an anxious side of you, what its job is, is to hold you back from something it perceives as danger. If it holds you back, you'll get relief because you'll be safe. And then once you get relief, you can feel more comfortable. Then you'll feel more in control. Once you feel in more control, then you're happier. Then you start to feel more confident. And then ultimately you feel peaceful. So this part of your mind is almost like a child that's like over protective it's inside going don't do that just in case what if and it'll hold you back but the the premise is is that we end up focusing on its behavior so we end up focusing very much on what it does it causes me anxiety anxiety attacks it means i didn't go to that party it means that i can't go to the shops without feeling uncomfortable 
But actually what the, that technique does is that it starts to look at the intention behind that behaviour. And I think, again, to bring that back onto politics is what they've lost. Mm-hmm. And now what they do is if we are on opposite sides of the chamber, um, you know, we're sitting at opposite sides of a table just now, I am waiting for you to do some sort of behaviour that I can attack mm-hmm. and then tie it into an intention that says that's why you're not getting it. There was a really terrible example in the commas not long ago where the... Labour deputy leader, who's the lady whose name I cannot remember. Angela Rayner. Angela Rayner, who crossed her legs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Great example. And it was dissembled by the Tory side as being some sort of basic instincts, you know, provocative gesture towards the prime minister to try and, you know, to put him off his stride. As if it would take that to put Boris off his stride. (laughs) But, and I thought, wow, what a phenomenal insight into how the heads of some people work. A lady who's wearing a skirt who crosses her legs get more comfortable and they and, and it's something that's completely subconscious takes a tenth of a second and they've spent a long time dissembling this into her motives. I've found that really telling. Such a good example and it's just so bizarre though, isn't it? I mean, it's like, as you say, it's a totally subconscious act, but we tie it into this sort of um, malicious intention that sits mm. at the back. You know, well, there she's doing that because it, I mean, God because forbid, is the word, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's always it's because. Always because you know, it's 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 all about meaning. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, the the whole world is is ultimately down to meaning. Yeah, um, and and I think you know, just to add in there, if it's amazing that what is apparently one of the top politicians in the world can be put off by a woman crossing her legs, then that says a lot, I think, more about him than it does about Angela Rayner. I think that really sums it up, though, what we're saying there about meaning. You've touched on something, again, really important, is that everything that we feel is down to what things mean. So, you know, we are supporters of football teams, for instance, mm-hmm. and that football team means things to us because of, as we've discussed before, our experiences with mm-hmm. our particular football teams and all of that type of stuff. When Scotland come together and Scotland play, that means something to us as a nation, well, most of us mm-hmm. as a nation, because of what that means. Uh, and we attach meaning. But this is the same as everything. You know, it's like, I believe that what driving means to me, for example, is an easy way for me to get from A to B. But Mm -hmm. I meet many people, as I'm sure you do, in therapy and coaching, where driving means terror, terror, basically. Fear, absolute abject terror, because people move so fast, and what if I crash, and what if I get stuck? And this is a really, really common anxiety. I'm I'm, I'm a horribly anxious passenger. I'm a very relaxed driver. Yep. I'm the worst passenger. And, you know, My wife has a terrible passenger. I constantly so. think whoever's driving is going to crash a car. Yep, it's awful. And there's the, and that's a change of meaning. When I'm sitting, do you know anybody who could help me? <laughs> <laughs> we have to talk about that at the end. I'll give you a card, mate, uh, or break the arrow. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, email yourself. Uh, like I could do with some help here. But I think uh, it's now what we're in a, is what does politics mean? Yeah, and what do politicians mean? I actually think in in Scotland, I've got to admit. I see, or this might be a personal thing, this might be a very subjective view, I see Scottish politics very different than I see UK politics. Uh, and, I, and I think I see what happens in Holyrood a little bit differently than I see Westminster because they mm-hmm. mean different things. Mm-hmm. I've got to admit, I'm not, I'm glad that this was more about the psychology than the politics. Yeah, I'm not massively I'm, I'm not, politically I, read. It's, I, but, I, I don't, I, I think I understand politics at a certain level. I, I have no allegiance. Yeah, yeah. Know. Uh, I'm really. And, Who and seems I, to be doing a good job? Yeah, exactly. So something just came into my head there. You're talking about football and your football allegiances. Mm. And on this same subject of polarisation, something struck me. I was at Glasgow Airport last weekend 
Mm-hmm. And it's that time of the year when entire families turn up either in Rangers kit or Celtic kit. Yep. And I thought this and I thought, do you know why this happens? This is my theory on it. If two guys in plain polo shirts met at the bar and Weatherspoons at five in the morning before the flight to Tenerife, mm-hmm. all right, mate, how are you doing? Not bad, good. Where, where are you heading? Tenerife. Oh, we're heading. Oh, what a hotel. Oh, that one. We're going to that one. Oh, who are you with? Oh, wife and the two kids. That's magic. You're a nice guy. Do you want a pint? I'll have a pint. Great magic. Obligatory picture for Facebook. Blah, blah, blah. But I want you to meet up together. What pubs you go to? You know, oh, I go to Flanagan's. Oh, I go to the Prince of Wales. <laughs> And that's why they wear the kit, because it cuts out the middleman of having to go through that yep. thing where they then go, we can't meet up because we're we're on a different side. And that's the thing. I mean, and if you happen to be someone who is on one of those two sides, that's the, I, I've never understood it. Being somebody who supports a, a, an insignificant and small club out with all that stuff, I, I've never got it. I've never got how people who look the same, speak the same, dress the same, are in the same streets, can be so divided by colours and the, the tribal nature the tribal of, nature. of, and, of and football. And it fascinates me. What's your... Yeah, it's just you, about I mean, tribal nature of politics. Again, America are really big for that. Yeah, you know, red that and blue. Whole thing, that yeah. whole red and blue thing, yeah. you know, which are you? Uh, even down to the, the states, you know, how yeah. are you a red or a blue state? I, I think we are we are finding our tribe is a very natural thing. It's yes. something that we want. It's, a, it's a, a natural part of what we do. You're absolutely spot on. I mean, ultimately, it's crap, isn't it? I mean, it's <laughs> it's only a label, as you say, yeah. it's a football team. And to be honest, if those two guys were in their work, they probably got on Fine. pretty well. Yeah. I, I've got to admit, right enough, I always think that uh, we, wearing the wearing the kit to the airport is very much again. There's a, there's a statement of intent. That is, that, that uh, is, would you do that? That is taking the middle man out, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, I think there's definitely a bit. I don't know. Maybe this is my reading. I, I'd, I'd say it to my wife. I, I remember back in the day when we had the kids when we were quite young. I used to go to like Brayhead, for instance, with my Celtic top on. You'd never see me do that anymore. <laughs> that would not happen. <laughs> Uh, I just uh, the thought of wearing the, the football kit as a fashion item is now gone. The only time I ever wear it out is if I am on holiday. That is the only time, I, and I won't wear it to the airport. Um, and, uh, but I think it, it is that that tribal nature of things that we want to say. This is who I am because I think along with that tribal identity says, or not just said it, along with that tribe comes an identity. And that identity is what we are holding on to. I'm different from you because this is who I am. But the problem with that is that can drive a wedge yeah. uh, because how much of that identity is really true, as we just said there? Well, if you go, back, if you go back to politics, if you took the, the red or the blue or the yellow rosette off, mm-hmm. are there really many of them? You, you know, there's, there are some personalities you identify, but generally, could you pick many of them out in that identity period? Absolutely. Could you really tell the difference from what, from from what anybody says at any point in 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 Hollywood or in Westminster, you know, in general terms, you've touched on something really important here. Actually, coming back to young people, there is now, uh so we knew what the the uh, the 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 slurs were when we were growing up and yeah. in school, and yeah. there was a variety of them that we would never use anymore because they're, they're very inappropriate. Yes, one of the most popular slurs now coming from primary six, primary seven, so what we're talking there, 10, 11 yeah. years old, uh-huh. is you're a Tory. And they have no idea what it means. You're such a Tory. I remember when my daughter went to university and she went to St. Andrews. So that brings a certain yeah. clientele when she went down to St. Andrews. Uh, she's a, a girl from Paisley. Yeah. She goes down, best friend for Coat Bridge. They both go down to St. Andrews. But even the uh, vitriol, if you like, that the Young Conservative Club got in Freshers Week. Yeah. Uh, you're talking like people throwing eggs at them from the other side of the road and everything. Now, and it's 
it's this thing that again it becomes tribal politics yes and uh, rather than listening because maybe i don't know if I, I, as we just said we're not massively read up i've got to admit i don't really know what the tories are hugely standing for in scotland these days maybe if i read it i'd go that's very much a muchness like everybody else apart from this this and this but it, it's become this tribal nature of, yeah. is, of is there any way out of it I suppose as, the, as, as we wrap this up, is, is there a way out of this polarisation? I think if we look, the way that I would say that we have to get out of it is it has to come from the top. Mm-hmm. So what therefore is needed, as you mentioned earlier, is potentially somebody, uh, which is potentially going to be some young starlet of politics mm-hmm. who is going to come through politics in a way that sets it alight a bit in the way that Barack Obama did. The issue with that is the way that we are running politics is that may then divide again in that nature. I think it needs to be led from the top. And and if if it's not bought in at the top where we will take action, we will listen, we will, we will do what we say we're going to do or at least publicise it when they do, or explain why they're not. Um, you know, it's like it's exactly like I would say to a parent. You can't just go do that and then not just because. Why. Yeah, just because. Just because. It's it's that thing. I, I, I know that we're we're nearly at the end of time, and uh, we're nearly at the end of time. That sounded very existential, <laughs> didn't it? Um, but, by the way, you might not be far away from the truth. <laughs> yes. I always remember there was a, I think I can't even remember what book it was in, but it was a study done where it was to do a photocopier and they broke all, or they didn't break the photocopiers, but they put out of order stickers and all the photo photocopiers in a, uh, in a uh, university campus and left one on. And therefore it created this big queue. This is in the days of photocopiers. Mm-hmm. And what they did was, was they created this big queue and then they got somebody to go to the front and say, I need to jump in. And if they just said, I need to jump in, then there was some really high percentage of people going, well, go back to the yeah. end, there's a, there's a queue. But as soon as they gave a because, it changed. And this study ended with, I need to go in because my boss is waiting for these. I need to go in because I'm short of time. Apparently, in the end, somebody was going to the front and saying, I need to jump in because I need to make some photocopies. And the statistics were crazy about people going, all right, yeah, no on problem. You go, I, yeah. On you go. I need to get into the photocopier because do what I need you to make photocopies. Yeah. And it's this because word. Yeah, that when we give that, and I don't think that happens enough. Yeah, and I think bringing us right back to the start, when you look at the real polarisation of NDRF and Brexit. Yeah. In fact, just take independence. On one side, you've got up here, you've got the nationalists saying, the Yes campaign saying, this must happen. It's the will of the people. And down south, the the candidates for the Conservative leadership saying, this will not happen for the next 10 years. Neither of them say because. Mm -hmm. They don't say, because we are going to do this, 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 and this will happen. And, I, and in a generation's time, you might not get the benefits until your kids. But Or the reason we're not doing it for 10 years is because the benefits of staying within the union are, do you think they don't do it because they don't know or because it's easier simply to stay in their corner and have their bubble? I think ambiguity is powerful. The, the, the more ambiguous Put you that are, in a t-shirt. I like yeah, that. Yeah, ambiguity is powerful. So the less I say, um, the less you can attack. So if I say it's the will of the people, yeah. what can you say about that? Now, if I then say, because, um, what did they say the last time? We want to create an oil fund. You now have an attack because you can now come back at me and say, but the oil isn't going to be there forever yeah. and fossil fuels and electric cars and yeah. all of this kind of stuff. If I say, because I want this, you, you, I give you... I, I give you ammunition, basically, where we have to have a debate and therefore you might prove me wrong. Whereas if I just say it's the will of the people, then that's very powerful. So I think 
I think they're in a place where they enjoy staying ambiguous because it gives them power. If you think even what happened recently with the so much smoke and mirrors that it was a work event. I mean, even that these types of things, you know, it's all this ambiguity. Don't give any ammunition. Don't give any detail because as soon as I give you detail, then I, I'm, you can uh, cut my legs off. You know, you can get in and you can you can destabilize me because you might actually prove that what I say is actually complete rubbish. Well, nothing you've said today has been complete rubbish as usual. Brian Costello for Prime Minister. <laughs> is, is my cry today um, thank you very much for being here thank you very much for joining us in the first episode of Timeline we hope to speak to you again very very soon all the best bye bye